Amen. So uh, John chapter 8, verse 37, titled today, Whose Child Are You? Whose Child Are You? Uh, we have four kids right now. Um, Russell is 14 years old, loves Jesus with all of his heart, a man of God already. Uh, you got Lainey, 11 years old, just super sweet, just broke her leg last week at youth group, you know, um, loves the Lord as well, loves her friends. Uh, we got Titus, Titus Hart, you know, his name means comfort encourager who is courageous, you know, and so uh, he's just, he is like a little melty boy, like he just melts in your arms, he just loves to cuddle, snuggle, he's so tender, he's so tender towards you, you know, like he, if you know Titus and you're around and you're leaving, he'll run after you to make sure he gives you a hug before you leave, you know, and he just pursues you. He's like, hey, you, the mom of these kids, I got to give you a hug real quick, you know. Um, and we're just working right now at times when he's afraid at night, you know. I'm just like, hey, what does your name mean? It means courage, you know. I'm like, all right, you know, the Lord wants to give you that courage, you know. Uh, Tatum, boy, you guys, I don't know if you've gotten to know Tatum at all. You know how nicknames are. You're like, where did the nicknames come for our kids? I don't know exactly how. Her nickname is Tootsie Poots you know, and it's actually a verb, um, or I guess it would be an adjective, you know, like you're being a Tootsie Poots right now, you know, it, to us it means ornery, you know, and she is just a firecracker, hilarious, get a glimpse of her today, check out her hair, it's a picture of her personality for sure, but have you ever looked at your kids with all of their different, you know, just funny little personality traits and whatnot, and the things they love and the things they're afraid of. And you, do you ever ask, like, whose child are you, you know? Sometimes my kid will be melting down and making a fuss, and everyone's kind of looking, and I'll be like, whose kid is that, you know, and kind of try to pass it off. But, uh, you know, it's funny. There's different traits, the way that you behave, the way you live. They often reflect your upbringing and where you're from and your parents and those different quality traits. And and uh, we're going to be asking that today. Whose child are you? As Jesus gets into, uh, you know, it's like week three for us of, a, of an intense conversation he's having with some Jews in Jerusalem. And he's going to be challenging them. Whose child are you? Uh, to the Jews there in Jerusalem. Kind of a main idea of this text is that religious privilege does not guarantee a right attitude towards the things of God. And that's just a good thing that would humble us before we come to the word today. You know, many of you, you've gone to Calvary Chapel for quite a while, and maybe Calvary Chapel, it's been your jam for 20, 30 years. You know, you were part of the Jesus movement back in California, Chuck Smith and baptizing surfers and hippies down on, in Newport Beach or Huntington Beach down in California. I mean, great heritage that we have as Calvary chapels, teaching through the word. That's uh, one thing that we're known for. And, you know, a lot of times though, even in Calvary chapel, you start being like, you know, I've just got this identity tag on me that's like Calvary chapel. So like I'm automatically golden, you know, or, you know, maybe you're new here and you, you're coming to Calvary chapel. You've got, I also was raised Baptist and you've got like this word conservative Baptists, you know, or, you know, we're Lutheran, you know, we got the history in Germany and like, we basically started Protestantism, you know? And so like, this guy can't talk. Protestantism, Protestantism. Okay. Sound it out. Okay. I even did my vocal warm-ups in the car. 
How now, brown cow? Okay. But all of, and, and then as Americans, there's a great religious privilege that we have of freedom of religion. And we've grown up in a nation that was founded on biblical principles. And that is a wonderful thing. I really value that and appreciate that and love that. And even praying about how, as a Christian pastor in the United States, how do I help protect that and advance that in this day and age, just really praying about that and studying and waiting on the Lord for like marching orders as to how and when to do that. But with all the great heritage that we have, both ecclesiology in the church and nationally as Americans, um, we got to remember though that, I mean, think of what the Jews had. Think of what the Jews had. I mean, they saw some things. (laughs) They were involved in some things. They had you know, we got our nice, cute little 250-year-old country. It's like, isn't that precious? You know? And then there's Israel. It's like, try millennia. Ma- millennium? Uh? There's my Donald Trump impression. Millennium. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> try millennia, right? Thousands of years as a nation, as a people, as an ethnic group. Children of Abraham. But they were reminded by Jesus in John chapter 8 that religious privilege does not guarantee a right attitude toward the things of God. Okay, you gotta, you gotta, if you're new here, you've got to go back, get on our YouTube channel, Calvary Prineville, or listen to our podcast, go to our sermon player on our website, and start listening to the book of John, or hit up like from chapter 7 of John to this point. Jesus is in Jerusalem. It's the tail end of the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. There have been all kinds of things that Jesus have been doing to remind the people of God's faithfulness to them during their wilderness wandering. He just declared to them that I am the light of the world. He who abides in me will not dwell in darkness, but have the light of life. And then that began in chapter 8, this discourse with these Jews who are not appreciating him so much anymore. You know, the honeymoon period with Jesus is over, and they are about ready to be throwing some stones at him. Now, the Jews of that end, well, why don't we read verse 37 here? Jesus says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me. Now, this takes us back to Jesus says, um, you know, he who the sun sets free is free indeed. And they said, uh, we've never been slaves of anyone. Who do you think you are to tell us that we will be free indeed? And that began just the last few verses of, hey, you've been a slave to sin is what you've been a slave to. And then, you know, it's like, and then he's like, okay, so you mentioned your Abraham's descendants and you've never been a slave to anyone. Quick fact check on that one. Falseo. Okay. Um, just in case you're wondering, they were slaves to the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Greeks, the Romans, and so on and so forth. And, and Jesus says, none of that even matters. You're a slave to sin, okay? And even though you're children of Abraham, verse 37, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. So they hold their descendants valuable and they hold dear their descendants and they should that was a special thing is a legitimate thing to be children of abraham and jesus can happily acknowledge that with them but it was the level of least interest and importance to him 
It was far more important was their fickle mob psychology that could believe Jesus only if his teachings did not clash with their prejudice. And then they would turn murderous when their fundamental religious bias was called into question. That, Jesus says, is not the conduct of children of Abraham. Like, don't behave that way. That's not how Rogers behave, is how maybe I would put it to my kids in certain situations. And Jesus says, that's not how Israelites behave, okay? They believed, the Israelites did, that if you came through the line of Abraham, you would make it through to heaven no matter what. Just the fact that you are from Abraham's lineage. In AD 40, there was a famous dialogue between a famous Jew named Trifle and Justin Martyr, where Trifle said, the eternal kingdom will be given to those who are of the seed of Abraham according to the flesh, even though they be sinners and unbelievers and disobedient to God. Did you catch that last part? It's basically, you're going to heaven even if you're just totally practicing sin, completely in rebellion to God, and you don't care a thing about God. Just because you have the DNA of Abraham, you're locked in. Okay? So Jesus is saying to them, I'm sorry, but that's not the case. Your religious privilege does not make you children of God. The murder plots that occupy your heart have such a heart, a, a large place in your heart that there remains no room for my word in you. You're just full of hate. And Jesus gets into this. Paul gets into this in the New Testament. James gets into this. Look at Romans chapter 9, verses 6 through 9. This is a great treatise that Paul does on Israel's past. Uh, Romans chapter 9, Israel's present state of rejecting Jesus. Romans chapter 10, uh, Israel's future salvation, Romans chapter 11. But in chapter 9, we see their past, and, and Paul is speaking here. It's at halfway through verse 6, Romans 9, 6. For they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Did you catch that? That's an interesting phrase. They are not all Israel who are of Israel. We kind of feel like that a little bit. You're not an American who says you're an American. You know, like, okay, so you kind of get it a little bit. Those are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they're the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac, your seed shall be called. That is those who are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. So the big picture from the book of Genesis, chapter 12, 15, 21, the promise of God to Abraham, the big promise is that it's through your seed, Jesus. Abraham, the line of Abraham, Jesus will come through that line, and it's through that line that the hope of the world is found, not just the DNA of all the sons of Abraham uh, from the beginning. Now, uh, that doesn't mean that God's done with Israel. It's a whole other topic for a whole other day. Man, we pray for Israel. We evangelize to Israel. We make Israel jealous with our love for Jesus. One day, Israel will be saved. We have that hope as well. Now, Jesus goes on in verse 38 of our text to say, I speak what I've seen my father with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. Okay, again, so we're talking about whose child are you? And Jesus talks about himself for a minute, like, I'm doing what my dad said to do, and I'm speaking everything that I got from my father. Now, I'm going to challenge you about possibly who your father is. 
because you're doing what your father does, okay? Jesus is saying, I'm telling, but you're doing. I'm telling what I've seen in my father's presence because I'm God from the presence of the Father God and the Holy Spirit God. I'm, I've been from the presence of God and I'm telling what I've seen in the Father's presence and you're doing what you've heard from your Father. This contrasts in many ways but Jesus is speaking to their hearts dealing with their persistent sin practice as Jews. And there's a great lesson in this. Heaven will never be gained by pedigree no matter how great and awesome your credentials may be. No one will be justified by the works of the flesh, by the deeds of the flesh, or by the pedigree of the flesh. We are justified before God. We go to heaven and we're forgiven of our sins because of the pedigree of Jesus and what he did for us in laying down his rights, sacrificing himself on the cross so that his perfect, sinless, spotless blood is shed to atone and forgive the sins of the entire world. That if anyone would believe in that line and what Jesus did on the cross, they will not perish, not go to hell, not live a life even in bondage to sin. There's freedom. They will have eternal life in Christ Jesus. So verse 39 of our text, John 8, 39, they answered and said to him, here we go again, Abraham is our father. Oof. They're not listening, are they? And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. So the issue wasn't ancestry. The issue is deeds here. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 9 well, actually, let's go to Luke chapter 3, verse 7. We have a similar statement here when John the Baptist is baptizing at the Jordan River. He said to the multitude that came out to be baptized by him, and these are Jews who were coming out, and he said to them, brood of vipers. This is not typically like a good PR campaign for growing your church. You know, people are coming down to the waters of baptism. The choir is singing and just... Are you a bunch of sickos? You know, like brood of vipers. But, but it was prophetic. It was, he was telling where their heart was. They were not yet right with the Lord. Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And don't begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children of Abraham from these stones. You're coming down to the waters of baptism. If you're going to come to the waters of baptism, you need to come ready to repent of all of your self-righteousness, of all of your pedigree, of all of your rights and privileges. You got to be ready to die and be humble and receive salvation that's found in the message of the gospel and the person and work of Jesus Christ. Don't, don't fall back on that pedigree. I mean, if God was impressed with that, he could just make these rocks children of Abraham. Okay, He's looking for something deeper here. Pretty unbelievable what Jesus is saying here in our text. Basically that the children of Abraham are trying to kill the very one that Abraham was looking forward to. Okay, let's uh, go ahead and move on in our text. 
Verse 41, for you do the deeds of your father. Okay, real quick, Abraham obeyed God's voice. The minute he heard from the Lord, it says in the book of Genesis that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Crazy stuff. Abraham, pick up your family, pick up everything that you had from your entire upbringing. I want you to leave your home. I don't want you to go to a land that you know not. It's over that way. Just go and just trust me. And Abraham picked up and went and obeyed the Lord. Like Abraham was obedient to the things of the Lord. And, and, uh, in that, whether it was requirements or commandments, decrees or laws, that's not what's happening by the Jews that Jesus is speaking to. They have no real heart for God, like their supposed father, Abraham. They have no sensitivity to the voice of God. And so Jesus is going to get into here that, well, then your father must be someone else because your father, Abraham, if that's who you say he is, he was obedient the drop of a hat to the things of the Lord. So verse 41, now you do do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. So they're going to kind of do a little tongue in cheek, cheeky talking here because they're digging at Jesus right here. Well, we were not born of fornication. What are they referencing? The virgin birth, right? Like, oh yeah, we know about you. Yeah, virgin, right, happens all the time, you know. But if they knew the prophecies, book of Isaiah, out of the virgin, the Messiah would come, right? And yet they were just blind to the things of the Lord. They were blind, they weren't listening. They were more concerned about their reputation and how they looked religiously. And so they're just digging at Jesus there. Well, we were not born of fornication, wink, wink, essentially is what they're getting at. And just a little bit, they're gonna call Jesus a Samaritan who has a demon, and some of the rabbis have a history that the Samaritan people came through uh, a, a demonic relationship that Cain was in back in the days of Adam. And that through Cain's de- devilish demonic immorality that happened, it was fornication, the people of the Samaritans came forth. And so they're, they're really digging at Jesus. They're going to say, you were born of fornication. Your mom wasn't really a virgin when you were born, uh, you're a Samaritan and your dad is the devil. And they're, they're getting at that in the things that they're saying here. But Jesus says to them in verse 42, if God were your father, which he isn't, by the way, you would love me, which you don't, by the way, for I proceeded forth and came from or out of God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. So Jesus gets at here that he had his origin and his beginning with the father. Remember from the book of John, we've been studying from chapter one, that Jesus is God. He created the world and there never was a time when Jesus wasn't. Okay. There never was when he wasn't. Can you remember that about Jesus? There never was when he wasn't. I mean, you know, fuzzy was he was a bear. Fuzzy was he was. There never was a was when he wasn't. Okay? Think you got that? You can remember that. That Jesus had his origin, his being with the Father. And whoever believes in God will believe this about Jesus. Let's look at a few references. 
We're going to kind of real sp- rapid fire, okay? 1 John 5.1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him also, uh, everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. So you love the Father, you're going to love the Son as well. In John 16, 27, for the Father himself loves you because you loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. Okay, so if you believe this about Jesus, that he came from heaven, only Son of God sent from heaven, and then you have the love of the Father, you're loving the Father, there's a sweet relationship with God happening there. In John chapter 17, the great high priestly prayer of Jesus, John 17, 8, for I have given to them the words which you've given me, and they have received them. So he's talking to, talking to the Father about the disciples, and he's like, I've given them everything you gave me, and they received my words, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. He can't say this about the Jews that he's talking to here in John chapter 8. I mean, of course he has a heart that the Jews would be saved, but they're going to reject him. And they are rejecting him. Everything that I'm saying, I bring from you, I speak to the Jews. They are rejecting that. They're throwing it back in my face. They're calling me a, a child of fornication. Um, but there's these guys. There's my, you know, my disciples. And then those who are going to follow me all the way to 2021 here in Prineville. You believe that Jesus is praying for us right here? And he's referring to us Christians right here. That uh, we've received his words and we've known surely that I came forth from you. We believe that Jesus came forth from the Father. And then a few verses later, John 17, 25, Jesus prays out, O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. So again, he's referring to the disciples, and they believe, disciples believe, that Jesus is sent from heaven, not just as an angel, okay? Our theology and our doctrine goes beyond that. He's not an angel, he created the angels, Hebrews chapter one, okay? He's the creator of the angels and angels worship him, okay? That's Jesus, he's God, created the world, God the Father, then there's God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit, study on the Trinity. It's incredible, we don't have time right now though, so sorry if that's a new thing for you. So Jesus can only conclude that if the Jews do not enthusiastically embrace him and love him, It must be because they themselves don't know the Father. By implication, this means that God's word about being a father to Israel must apply to others. Okay? They loved, um, I think Deuteronomy speaks to that, that God is a father to his people Israel, but it goes beyond just their nationality. It's those that believe in God have God as their father. The next little headline here, the next little um, heading maybe in your notes is that God's children hear his voice. Verse 43, why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. I am thinking for some reason, like I can hear Chris Tucker, the comedian say this. Why do you not understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? You know? That's basically what Jesus is is saying right here. Why do you not understand my speech? Okay. And then he gives the answer uh, to that. Here's why. Verse 44. You are of your father, the devil. Now Jesus is saying, he's saying it like it is. Okay. You are of your father, the devil, 
and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. So if you've been with us last week and this week, they said their father was Abraham, but they didn't do his works. They said their father was God, but they want to kill the one that God sent. So Jesus says to them, in just a good moment of speaking the truth in love, he says, I'm in a level with you. Your real father isn't Abraham. Your real father isn't God the father. Your real father is the devil. The temperature rose in Jerusalem. It was like a nice, pleasant 62 degrees that day. It was 115 by the time this conversation was over. Things had got hot, okay? Look at what uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 tells us. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin, because he's been born of God. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Okay, so John, who also wrote the Gospel of John, it's almost a commentary on John chapter 8, that, hey, if you, are, if you love God, you're going to obey God. You're going to believe in the gospel of God, the good news of God. That's why Jesus went around in the gospel of Mark. It says, so he went around and he began to preach, repent and believe in the gospel. If you're going to turn away from your sins, you got to turn to something. What do you turn to? The righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. You turn to his plan of salvation for you. You got to turn away from your self-righteousness. You got to turn away from your pedigree. You got to turn away and you've got to believe the gospel, the good news of Jesus. That's a, that's a humbling thing, you guys. What it means is you got to confess like, I am a sinner. People don't want to hear that. This world doesn't want to hear that. You know, we're in a, an affirming culture. You know, I just want you to tell me how amazing that I am. Go on. Go on. Go on. <laughs> scratch right there good lower lower okay like just scratch my back and tell me how awesome i am so i can just you know and it's like uh, sorry that's not jesus all right you got to know how truly wicked you are as a sinner and that not only did you inherit sin through your grandpappy adam from the garden it's like in your dna spiritually but then you imputed sin upon yourself and heaped it upon yourself by willingly going, I'm with Adam, I'm with Adam, I'm with, yeah, you know? And it's like, sorry, you're a sinner inherently and imputatively. It's in your account. And you've got to just be real before the Lord and say, I see that I'm a sinner. And the devil didn't make me do it. I wanted this. I chose this. But you're a God that forgives. So come and do your work of forgiveness in me. You're a God who's pursued me and laid your life down so that I can live again. So come, help me to live again. I receive what you've done in the gospel. When you receive that, it'll make you believe. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German evangelist who ended up dying at the hand of the Nazis a month before World War II ended, he wrote The Cost of Discipleship. And in that book, he says, those who believe, obey. Okay? Those who believe the gospel and are saved by grace can't help but obeying. It works something in your heart. It changes you. Now I want to please my Father. Those who don't believe, 
They just obey someone else. They obey the devil. And he has got resources that just plum, are plumbed deep. And the Jews have been drawing from those vast resources. There was a, a book by John Milton called Paradise Lost, where it's written, the devil brought death into the world and all our woe. And the Jews have just been tapped right into that here in John 8. Verse 45, but because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. In our natural state, in and of ourselves, we have a bent towards sin that wants to hear the lie. We don't want to hear truth. F.F. Bruce says, if it is impossible for God to lie, Hebrews chapter 6 verse 18, equally it is impossible for the devil to speak the truth. Even when he chooses to, quote, quote scripture for his own purpose. You guys remember that? Matthew chapter 4 and the temptation of Jesus. And what, the devil knows the Bible? He was at Awanas and memorized scripture as a little devil kid? You've seen him there. Okay. <laughs> Bruce goes on to say, the children of God then will be characterized by their love of the truth. The children of the devil by their refusal to accept the truth. D.A. Carson says, the tragedy of the liar is not only that he deceives others, but that he does not hold to the truth. Jesus's words in this verse are therefore very somber because, Carson goes on to say, the children of God will so love the truth that they will believe in Jesus. The children of the devil will be so characterized by lies that they will not be able to accept the truth precisely because it is truth. You catch that? That is how wicked sin and, and the fallen condition of man is with, of course, roots in temptation from Satan and his great pride in exalting himself before God. I will not accept what you're saying simply because it's the truth. And that's what Jesus said in this verse. He says, verse 45, but because I tell you the truth, you won't believe me. He says that in another place. If someone were to come up to you and tell you a lie, you would rightly receive them. You're just happy to receive the lie. It's because you see our bent towards sin apart from Jesus. You're not a good person, sorry. Apart from Jesus, you just want to go the way of the lie. Okay? But because it's truth, you don't believe him. And if not for the grace of God in his pursuit of you, he would have not, you would not be enabled to believe the truth. This is the grace, this is the sovereign work of God in the aspect of the gospel. He pursues you, he softens your heart, he enables you. He doesn't believe for you, but he enables you to believe so that you can believe. And he speaks according to the Holy Spirit, convicting you of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And you hear and you obey the gospel and you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you're saved. Verse 46, which of you convicts me of sin? This is his claim to be sinless, by the way. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Verse 47, he who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Pretty like good common sense, like put the puzzle pieces together, okay? 
Then the Jews answered and said to him, do we not say rightly that you are Samaritan and have a demon? It's getting, are you feeling the temperature rise here? Like, so he said, like, your father's the devil because your work, like, it, the evidence is in your works, who your real daddy is. Who's your daddy? The devil, okay? And then they're kind of like, oh, yeah, maybe you're the one with the demon, right? Samaritan, Cain, and, and the relationship with the devil, something weird happened there. I don't know. It's, it's a rabbi, rabbinical tradition, you know? Yeah, that's, that's you. You're, yeah, so you got to be a Samaritan and be demonic. Yeah, that's what it is, okay? They're really grasping at straws here. In John chapter 7, some said he has a demon. In John chapter 10, verse 20, some will say he has a demon. In Matthew chapter 12, some say he does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. You remember that accusation? Jesus is just running around spreading good cheer. Here's a healing for you. Here's a healing for you. Here's a demon being casted out for you. Oh, you're paralyzed? Oh, how's that feel? Oh, you know, and it's like, Man, there's nothing but rainbows and kittens and maybe a unicorn running around while Jesus, you know, just no unicorns, okay? These are good. And what do they do? Oh, the only way, you know, I'm not going to believe it just because it is the truth. In fact, I'm going to throw this one at you. The only reason you're able to do this is because you're empowered by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. And then Jesus says something, and it's in this context that this verse is used. So you might want to remember this. Then Jesus says, Matthew 12, 31. Therefore, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it'll be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age to come. You know, that that's the context of that. Maybe you're like, oh, have I committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? You know, we're always, oh, I left myself, I lost my salvation yesterday. Oh, you know, we're always just worried about that. But the context of it is Jesus is just loving the world and serving the world and laying his life down for the world. And the response to his grace is you're Satan. Okay? So if you're going to take the acts of salvation, the acts of grace of the Lord, and you are going to call them works of Satan, that's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That shows that there's a depth of depravity in your heart and you have rejected the gospel. You pretty much have evidence that there's no coming back from it. You're at that place in your life. It's a dangerous and dark place to be, but it's not just someone who stumbles and then is just coming back to the grace and just like, man, I don't know how to be, and just begins to find a way to battle their sin well by the power of the Spirit, mortifying the flesh. But but I'm struggling and I'm battling and I just don't know. And, but man, I, li- I look to you, Jesus. I believe victory is in the future. I believe I'm saved. I believe I'm being saved and I believe I will be saved. That is not someone who's blasphemed the Holy Spirit, okay? It's the one who's, who just has damned salvation. Forget it. I don't want it, okay? And so uh, it's the context of that. And that's where these Jews are right now. They're saying, they're calling Jesus the devil, Okay, for a Jew to question the paternity of other Jews was so despicable that only a demon possessed would possession would explain it. So they are coming from some of the teachings of the rabbis there. Verse 49. How are you guys doing? You guys, I think there's 59 verses here. Got 10 more verses. Can you do it? I do have a timer on my watch. Three minutes and 28 seconds. And then I have a special song and a special video. Okay. And another special song and a dance. No, I'm kidding. 
You're like, this is really going on. Okay, but I do have a timer for three minutes left in our sermon. Okay. It's going to be 20 at least. (laughs) But I'm trying. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Right? Demons typically don't want to honor God. Jesus denies he's demon-possessed here, and he claims his behavior is not the fruit of arrogance or dementia or Samaritism or the occult, but simply he's just obedient to the Father. Next heading in your Bible or in your notes, maybe that God's children will honor the Son. Verse 50, and I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. This is repeated throughout the Gospel of John, John chapter 7. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8 speak about how Jesus wasn't seeking his own glory when he laid down his life as a ransom for many and took the position of a servant so that we could find life in his act of service. Verse 51, most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my words, he shall never see death. It was in this same discussion that Jesus said two, three times, that if you don't believe in Jesus, you will die in your sins. And here he says, if you believe in me, you'll never see death. Well, that's going to be a controversial statement. The Jews are going to say in verse 52, now we know you have a demon. Abraham is dead. You just said, if anyone believed in my word, he would never die. And Abraham died, right? Abraham is dead and the prophets. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never taste death. Verse 53, are you greater than our father Abraham who is dead and the prophets are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? Who do you think you are? Right? That's that's what's happening right here. Who do you think you are? Who, whom do you make yourself or whom do you make yourself out to be? Right? Like, what are you talking about? In verse 54, Jesus says, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It's my father who honors me of whom you say that he is your God. So from Jesus's perspective, the irony is that his opponents claim that this God is their own, but they display no knowledge of this God's profound commitment to glorify his unique son. In verse 55, yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I'll be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Okay, I know that we've been taking in a lot of information. Your cognitive learning is going out the window right now, but you got to catch what he just said. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. What would that mean if you heard Jesus say that? Like, okay, my great 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 grandpa was really excited to see your day how in the world okay they said to him you are not yet 50 years old and yet you've seen abraham they're basically like, you were born like the day before yesterday. By the way, he was about 33 years old here. They're kind of just rounding out. Like, you're not even 50. You say that our father Abraham saw your day. What are you saying? Who are you saying that you are? And how did Abraham rejoice to see your day? There's a lot of crazy stuff here in actually that statement. Some would say that what's called the Akada, which is the binding of Isaac on Mount Moriah, an incredible picture of the gospel in so many ways. It's such a beautiful study to do. 
that that played a significant role in the thought that uh, of the sacrifice and the atonement for sins. And so what happened there on Mount Moriah with Abraham and Isaac, it was such a foreshadowing of the gospel that Abraham rejoiced that God himself would provide the lamb. And that it's based, like, he knew that God would bring forth his son to die for the sins of the world. And he rejoiced to see that day. Some traditions go even farther that Abraham said, had some sort of glimpse about like everything that Jesus was going to do. Now you can't, you can't really back that up totally biblically, but you do have verses like Hebrews chapter 11, 13, all of these prophets and fathers died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So Abraham rejoiced to see this day. The Jews say, you're not 50 years old, and you say you've seen Abraham. And you guys, a few witnesses, including the Papyrus 75, actually read, has Abraham seen you? And you got it. I hope your heart is ready for this. Verse 58. I don't know if you're prepared for this. The Jews were not ready for this. There's going to be a mic drop, a Hebrew mic drop that's like never been done before. It's right here. Jesus said to them, most assuredly, that's like truly, truly, I'm telling you guys the truth right now. I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. (laughs) No oxygen left on the Temple Mount right now. Like what Jesus just said. Like, he's claiming to be God. He is saying that he is God. He is saying that he is Yahweh. He is before Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, the law, the time in Egypt, the time in wilderness wanderings. He's before the kings. He's before the, he's before the captivities. He's before the rebuildings of the temple. He's before the kings and all of their idolatrous ways. Like, before any of it, even before the foundations of the world, I was there. I was there. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I'm the one who's performed, as Isaiah 41, 4 says, and I've done it, calling the generations from the beginning. I'm the Lord, I'm the first, I'm the last, and I am He. I am Before Abraham was even born, I am. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Speaking of Jesus, D.A. Carson says, Jesus takes to himself one of the most sacred and divine expressions of self-reference and makes the assumption that the expression is the proof of his superiority over Abraham. This is an insane expression of deity. Underline it, because there is conflict among the cults today who would say that Jesus never claimed to be God, okay? Jesus claimed to be God all throughout the book of John. The theme of the book of John is the deity of Jesus. John knew it. The Jews knew it. Verse 59, so they took up stones to stone him for it. It was blasphemy. They're going to kill him for it later on. 
And Jesus knew that he was saying it. Jesus is God, y'all. And so they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and so passed by. 